Welcome to the Ghost Tea Podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Willow, a clairvoyant since childhood, paranormal investigator, and a witch. Today we're going to be talking about hauntings, ghosts, and poltergeists. I will get around to making an episode on angels, guardian angels, archangels, and demons, but I feel really inspired to use this topic today, so I'm just going to go with it and trust the flow. As always, before we jump in, I want to remind you that everyone has different views on things, and that's okay. I don't ask you to believe what I do, I just want to share what I've found in my personal path with others. Now, let's get to the tea. We see it in paranormal thrillers as well as paranormal investigative shows that hauntings happen all the time. There's this common assumption that most of the ghosts that are haunting places or interacting with us are stuck because they have unfinished business or they don't know how to move on, etc. In other instances, you have this assumption that poltergeists are these evil spirits that are trying to cause chaos and harm us. Now, even though I know why all of these assumptions are here and why we have them, I actually don't believe in a lot of the narrative behind them, because to me, it doesn't make sense. In my personal experience, as being someone who has seen spirits from as long as I can remember, I've only really had to cross over spirits or assist spirits in crossing over a handful of times, like honestly less than five, or maybe five at the most. Basically, just not that often. And that's because most of the time when ghosts are interacting with us, it's because they don't have to stay on the other side if they cross over. They can go back and forth freely and visit us when they want or visit their favorite places or spend time somewhere that they always wanted to go. I think the idea of spirits being stuck is mostly perpetuated by Christian or Catholic beliefs. And I think that's because they believe in heaven and hell, which means that if you as a spirit are still here, then something in the system must have gone awry, such as you weren't allowed into heaven, but you didn't want to go to hell. So you kind of stay in this limbo state. Now, as I've said in my other episodes, I do believe that there is such a thing as quote unquote limbo. And I say quote unquote, because I don't really like to call it that because I feel like that has people assume that it's the same thing as what other people talk about. But in that sense, I really do think that it's just a state or a consciousness or an energy that we stay in as spirits because we're afraid of what happens when we go to the other side. So before your spirit actually crosses over, you hold on to the beliefs that you had when you were alive. So if you were a Christian or you were Catholic and you believe that you will either go to heaven or hell when you cross over, I think that could keep you from crossing over if you feel that you haven't done enough things in order to qualify to get into heaven, which would therefore cause that ghost or that spirit to stay behind and try to make amends or try to find closures before they cross over so that they're able to get into heaven when that isn't really what happens, at least in my opinion. So now that we've gone over that, why would a haunting happen? There's a couple different types of hauntings, but the common ones you'll hear are stone tape or residual hauntings, intelligent hauntings, 
poltergeist activity and demonic possession or demonic hauntings. So let's go over the stone tape or residual hauntings. The reason why it's called stone tape or residual is because it's something that happens over and over again. And the reason why it's called stone tape is because they've found that this commonly happens in areas where there's a lot of stone to absorb that energy. It's not necessarily a secret that stone and crystal holds energy signatures. So a lot of times people associate stones with those residual hauntings because they believe that if something has enough of a dramatic energetic output, that that energy is going to be soaked up and regurgitated by that stone, which means that it's playing over and over and over again. So think of those old stone castles in Scotland and England and Ireland where you have a lot of those residual hauntings. In a residual haunting, you're not going to have intelligent communication with that spirit. So it's just going to be something that continues going through its own repetition and same memory. It's not going to actually interact with anything around it. So for example, it might be a vision of a woman walking through the hall. So for example, you have a lot of stories about people telling the same exact story and experience with a ghost where they say, oh, there was this woman in a red dress who walked down the hallway from room five to room 12. And then people a couple months later say the same exact thing. That could be something that's seen as a stone tape or a residual haunting, which is something that she's not really going to interact with you. She's not going to say, oh, hello, and try to communicate because it's just an energy signature that's being replayed over and over again. And honestly, areas and stone hold energy for very long amounts of time. And it usually takes a very long time to drain that energy. So those will play for a long time. They're not necessarily going to fade out anytime soon. So let's compare that to intelligent hauntings. Intelligent hauntings would be where a spirit is in an area and they're able to actually interact with us and communicate. This is the most exciting for paranormal investigators because we're able to actually speak with a spirit. And I know that that's weird for me to say as a paranormal investigator, but also clairvoyant because I can see them, I can interact with them and I can hear them. I can have full on conversations without any tools, but it's still really exciting for me to have solid evidence on something other than myself, like a tape recorder or something like that, because it kind of confirms what I'm experiencing alone. <laughs> One of my favorite, favorite examples of an intelligent haunting was an episode of Ghost Hunters called The Princess and the EVP. In the episode, they're trying to communicate with, with a spirit that resides there and they do an EVP session. And during that EVP session, they ask, is someone there? And you get this response of, of course I'm here. Where are you? Which is so, so interesting. So that would be an example of an intelligent haunting because it's something where they're able to interact with the living in some way or another, whether through equipment or personal experiences or something like that. A poltergeist activity situation would be something where you're having a lot of things physically move. Now, physically moving objects doesn't necessarily always mean a poltergeist situation. And that can happen with hauntings, whether residual or 
intelligent. So it's not necessarily always a poltergeist activity situation. But the difference between a residual haunting, an intelligent haunting, and a poltergeist haunting is that a poltergeist haunting is only going to be around one person. It's going to be attached to one person. So a lot of times people are like, oh my gosh, I have this attachment. I have this haunting around me. I myself am haunted, blah, blah, blah. From my personal point of view, and based on what I have learned through personal experience, as well as seeing experiences of others through TV shows, but also through stories from other people, is that I don't actually believe that poltergeists are spirits of people. I think they are actually ourselves. And before you get super confused, let me explain that a little bit better. So as we already know, we have a shadow self. So I go over that in my episode about shadow work. And our shadow self is the part of ourselves that holds onto our vices, our habits, our wants, our desires, but also our destructive things and our traumas. And if we address those things as we go through them and we check in with our shadow self often, we're not having a lot of buildup in that area. We're not having a lot of things that go unsaid that are just gathering energy. However, if we have trauma, feelings, experiences that we don't process and we don't release in some way or understand, then we start to push down our feelings. So if we have a lot of intense feelings coming up, sometimes we don't feel like we have the tools to address them or work through them. Sometimes we don't feel ready. Sometimes it's just too much for us to process. So we just push it down. So for example, this could be someone feeling really angry about something and just pushing it down being like, I can't feel angry. I can't feel angry. It's not safe, blah, blah, blah. So they keep pushing it down to not feel that feeling. Even though it can sometimes help in the short term, the problem is that the long-term effects of that are really damaging. Not only are you causing yourself to feel very separated from your emotions, but those repressed energies or emotions or experiences start to separate from your spirit self, which means that your shadow self would start separating from your spirit and it becomes its own entity. And the more we push away these things, the more it becomes this thing that takes on its own personality and starts creating chaos. But why? So the way that I want to show this through metaphoric speaking, because I feel like that helps people visually, is imagine that your shadow self is a toddler that you are carrying around. And essentially it kind of is. It's our inner child. It's our inner self that has always just wanted to be loved and always wanted to be looked after, but maybe didn't get the care that it was supposed to get throughout its time as part of our soul. So our shadow self is this toddler that we're carrying around. And sometimes it starts screaming and crying and we're like, shh, no, you're fine. Like everything's fine. And you try to keep telling this child that it's fine and everything is great. Everything is peachy, but this child is in pain and they are going to be crying and screaming and lashing out and starting to struggle around and try to get out of your arms. So eventually, because we're not able to sit down and take the time to ask it, okay, what are you trying to tell me and what is it that you're feeling? Instead, we put this 
baby down. We put this toddler down, but they're attached to us by a toddler leash. I don't know what those are called, but they're like little leashes with the harnesses that go on children. We put this toddler down and they are running away from us, but they are tugging on this leash. And we're like, oh my gosh, like, what the heck? I just want to live my life. And you're just like tugging at this leash. I don't know what you want from me. So you start ignoring it, but then it starts causing chaos everywhere you go because anywhere that you go, that toddler also goes. So let's say that you go into a china shop and now you have a bull in a china shop situation where this toddler is pulling things off the shelf, they're throwing things. But if anybody else came into the room, those things wouldn't be affecting them because that toddler is not attached to that other person because that toddler is your toddler, not their toddler, which means that it, it's, it's up to you to address that situation yourself. So in a paranormal situation, a poltergeist isn't actually a separate entity from us. It's our shadow self that is taking on its own form so that it can get our attention and say, hey, listen, you have emotions that are really strong that you really need to work through and you need to address and you need to release. And if you don't do this, I will create chaos until you do. And commonly when you see episodes of paranormal shows or situations in real life, um, you'll see that that activity follows that one person. When they leave, the activity ceases. And when they are able to identify that it's a paranormal situation, it's usually that once that person starts going to therapy and starts being able to work through emotions that they're feeling or experiences that they've had, that activity ceases to be happening because it's not necessary anymore. It's not necessary to get your attention because you're already paying attention to it and you're already addressing it. So now that we've gone through a poltergeist situation, what would a demonic haunting be? Now, I haven't really gone over my thoughts on demons in my podcast yet, I don't believe, but I don't actually believe that demons are necessarily a bad thing. I believe that just like people, there's good ones and bad ones, and sometimes we come across very negative ones, and sometimes there are ones that we come across that we wouldn't even know were demons because they're not acting the way that we expect them to. In my entire time being alive, which is now 30 years, woo woo, um, I've only really come across a demon without being like Lucifer or uh, Baphomet, things like that. I've only come across one lower level demon once, once in that entire time. So I honestly really don't believe that demons are as widespread and common as people think. Because to be quite frank, and maybe I should watch my language here, but I really don't think they give a shit about us. Like there are ones that I'm sure want to help us and there are ones that I'm sure want to cause chaos, but I think the majority of them just don't care enough to actually do anything to cause us harm. They're just like, eh, go about living your life. You do you, boo. But in cases of demonic hauntings or what people call demonic hauntings, I actually don't think those are demons at all. Most of the time in paranormal shows, because I can see things in video and stuff like that. So when I'm watching paranormal shows, I'm able to see the spirits if they 
end up going across the screen or something like that or being in the background. And most of the times when I've seen situations where they claim that it's a demon, it's actually not. It is a spirit that is portraying itself as a demon because it's trying to scare them. And it knows that people are scared of demons because we assume that they're bad. And honestly, spirits are probably worse than demons. So I don't, I, I feel like I have gone over this before in another episode, but basically if a spirit does not cross over, like it decides to stay in that quote unquote limbo state, it needs to continuously have an energy source to feed off of to survive because otherwise the energy will start to drain. And obviously energy doesn't ever die, but it's, it needs something that helps to maintain it. So when it's, staying in that state, it needs to constantly find ways to re-energize itself. And one of the ways that spirits commonly do that is by scaring people because we output the most energy when we are scared, when we're happy, uh, or when we orgasm. And during those times, we output this really large energetic field that spirits can soak up and use whether to manifest or cause more situations to happen or stick around a little bit longer. Now, the spirits that I have experienced personally, but also seen on TV shows and stuff like that, where they've had these situations, it will be a spirit who purposefully takes on a very scary appearance. So maybe they'll show up in a very um, decomposed way, or they'll show up as this very uh, disfigured um, entity, things like that, to scare people if they see them in a physical way. And by doing so, they're able to have people release that energy that they can soak up and therefore take with them whether they decide to go on to somewhere else or if they want to continue doing that to gather more energy. So in a demonic situation, well, quote unquote demonic now, because we've kind of gone over the situation that it isn't necessarily a demon most of the time, is that they portray themselves as demons. Because again, like I said, they know that we're afraid of that and that commonly people would be like, demon, oh my gosh, we need to leave. Like it's, it's evil, blah, blah, blah. Now, since we're on the subject of demonic hauntings and stuff like that. I think we should go over the topic of exorcism and um, exercising a space or a person. So I personally do not believe in demonic possession. Um, I believe that what people consider to be demonic possession is actually someone channeling without protection. Um, sometimes not even realizing that they're channeling, which means that they haven't set up protection and they don't know that they can allow bad things to come through that are portraying themselves as something very bad. And again, most of the time, it's actually not a demon that comes through. It's usually a spirit or just an entity or an energy being that just really wants to create fear to soak up that energy. And in a demonic haunting where you have a priest come in, because people have asked me, well, if channeling is what's really happening and it's not possession, what does exercising that spirit do? 
And to be honest, in my opinion, it's just cleansing. It's just regular cleansing. Anybody can do it. You don't have to be trained by a church or trained in demonolatry or trained as a priest to be able to do it. I honestly really truly believe that anybody could cleanse a space the same way that a priest does in an exorcism if they had the same amount of confidence. One of the reasons why exorcisms are so effective is because priests are trained to trust in their methods and they have a lot of confidence going in knowing that what they will do will get rid of that spirit so they really don't necessarily have a reason to worry and honestly in my opinion that confidence makes all of the difference if you tell someone who is uninvited in your house to leave and they're angry and you're not doing it with conviction or confidence that you have the ability to make them leave if they don't, then they're not going to be as determined to leave because they're not threatened by you. If you take control of that space and you take ownership of that and you have confidence in your ability to get rid of it, no matter what it decides that it wants to do, it will leave because it doesn't want to deal with that. So Oh, this is this is such a big topic and I feel like it's so so interesting. I honestly don't feel like I've gone over everything that I want to go over in this subject, but if you guys have any questions about this kind of stuff, please leave them for me to uh, talk about in future episodes and Q&As because I think it's just such an interesting topic and it's one of the things that makes me love paranormal investigating so much because there's such a complex and interesting dynamic that we have as physical humans to the spirit realm and it's just oh it's just so fascinating it makes me so happy (laughs) but I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I hope that it brought some clarity for you and maybe answered some questions you had Um, but for those interested in booking a session with me you can do so by signing up for the waitlist on my website www.arielwillow.com and going to the services page where you can see what kind of services i offer i'm going to be trying to implement new services sometime soon so keep an eye out for that and also feel free to leave messages for me to answer in future q a episodes on the anchor.fm page where you can leave voice memos for me to answer on air I do have a lot of questions that people have sent in recently that I've been trying to get to. And for some reason, I can't figure out the audio part of it for whatever reason. Before, it was really easy. And then it just stopped being easy. And I'm not sure why. So I'm still figuring that out. But I promise I'll get that up sometime soon. As always, stay safe, stay curious, and keep learning. And I'll talk to you guys soon.